reaching out to more of the newer people in the industry that are coming into silver, gold, and they want to invest, but they don't know how. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. And today, quite fortunate to have another video sent in from Nate Fisher, who has made a couple great contributions on the channel already. And in today's video, he looks at silver stock investing from the perspective of a newbie. So especially if you are newer to silver stocks, this video will be for you, although Nate has quite a wide body of knowledge. So even if you're somewhat experienced, I think you'll enjoy this one as well. Quick note, this is not licensed financial advice. So by all means, treat this as educational and do consult your financial advisor before making any decisions. But do think you'll find it helpful in terms of getting a few thoughts to think about. With that said, we'll hand it over to Nate. Hi everyone, Nate Fisher here for another educational video for Arcadia Economics. Uh, I've done a few of these now where uh, I get a little uh, thought in my head of uh, something I'd like to do for a video for research. A lot of a lot of stuff I want to do is reaching out to more of the newer people in the industry that are coming into silver, gold, um, and they want to uh, they want to invest, but they don't know how. And what I try to do with a series of these videos. I kind of give you some entry points. Uh, none of this is investment advice. In fact, I'm going to kind of go over some uh, some of the mistakes I made in doing uh, some mining stock investment as well. <clears throat> I am not a portfolio manager or money manager by trade. Uh, I work as an IT manager by trade. Uh, so what I wanted to do uh, today was to kind of go over an overview of if you're brand new, how you would invest in mining stocks. What kind of things are you looking for? What kind of mistakes um, should you be uh, uh, worried about making? So with that, I'm going to try to have some fun with this um, and we'll go from there. So why would you invest in mining stocks? Well, uh, it, for example, if uh, gold is $2,000 today uh, and you think gold is going to go to 2500 and you invest in gold, you got all kinds of premiums. Um, and then when you go to sell, you may not get the full amount, you might get spot minus 20 or 30 bucks. So your whole move in gold, if you're just buying gold to sell it, is potentially, I don't know, 20%. Um, the, the, the point here is when you're buying a lot of these, uh, these um, precious metals, typically you're not buying them to get rich. Now, if you think silver is going to do a 5x, great. But you buy the metals to protect against doom and gloom. Why I buy miners is because I want to get rich from that. So uh, so why invest in miners? Because it's another way of playing the PM move, which is more geared towards profit. Um, overview of the types of miners. Uh, I'm going to go into a bunch of uh, different types of miners uh, within this. Um, mining business in the Lausanne curve. Uh, many people just think you're pulling metals out of the ground, but miners are a lot more than that. And I think you need to understand the overall business. Uh, primary miners, I think, are kind of almost as extinct as dinosaurs when it comes to silver. Uh, what to consider? There's a lot of things that you need to think about before you invest in a miner. So I'm going to go over some of them. And then I'm going to just touch on a couple of resources at the end. So um, I mentioned why I would invest. Uh, it's kind of a, a play on trying to get rich off of precious metals without uh, turning around and trying to flip silver, uh, buying it one day for 25, selling it a month later for 50, that's probably not going to be happening. However, 
you might find if you're buying a miner that silver goes up a dollar, but your miner goes up 20%. Uh, so you have to find uh, what works for you, uh, the leverage that you like. Uh, so with that, here's some other reasons. So um, as I mentioned before in some of these videos, my primary investment happens to be uh, real estate. Uh, I'm a mom and pop uh, landlord, if you will. I have a couple units, uh, three technically. So nothing huge, nothing crazy. But um, at one point in time, I was worried in 2019 with this whole repo market. I was worried about uh, housing market going down again. Well, what happens if I have all this uh, all this equity and all these properties and all of a sudden the markets tank. And then what happens if I can't rent out these places and I have to turn around and sell? I mean, I, I could go from uh, a stake of having a lot of equity to then turning around having a short sell a house, which is not a really good situation you want to be in. So the, the primary reason that I was looking at to start this was I wanted to hedge against my downside risk of my real estate. Now, Let's just say you have a 401k that's massive in size. You don't want to turn around and dump your 401k here. But if you think that the stock market is going to go down over the next year or two and precious metals are going to go up, you can more or less hedge your downside exposure with uh, your 401ks or whatever with precious metals. So <clears throat> that's the main reason you would go into uh, precious metals. But, you know, why, why invest in miners then? So you can use that as... Uh, a downside hedge, but you know, basically here, uh, if I have a lot of housing equity and I don't want to just load up on precious metals, I can then leverage those pre precious metals, if you will, with with miners. Um, another reason you like gold and silver or other minerals. I know as a kid I used to play with dump trucks a lot. Uh, I love digging in the backyard. I love looking for gold, and I occasionally I would actually find fool's gold. So as a little kid, I loved the concept of gold and silver. I, I loved uh, archaeology back in the day and, and geology. Uh, so many of you as an adult come into this then, and you had a coin collection as a kid, and you're like, hey, look, I'd like to kind of get involved with this. Why else? Uh, like I said, it could be a leverage play on the underlying metal. Not only would you get miners to have that leverage, but then you can also do call options on those miners. Um, there's there's a lot of risk involved with, with this I'll get into, but that's just another reason that you would get involved with this. So um, another reason you might like it is you like to see gains. Uh, I did do a decent amount of call options that just went vertical at times. And man, I'll tell you what, it is addicting at times to see some of those those violent moves up. In, in your in your portfolio, you don't necessarily get that by, you know, a typical dividend stock. <laughs> so when, you know, I, I like to see massive amounts of moves in, in my in my portfolio. But the flip side of that is you also must like pain and suffering. If you want to invest in mining stocks, you need to have the ability to absorb risk. You're going to have days where you have five, six, seven percent up days, and then the next day that turns around and it's five, six, seven percent down days. So the first year I was doing this, man, I was watching this day to day and oh my God, I'm so smart. And then, oh my God, I'm so dumb. You have to have a love of mind on it. Uh, so that's the reason why. But let me talk to you about my portfolio here. So there's no numbers on here, but you'll, you'll, you'll see what the big picture is. So this this is from my um, 
my uh, um, my brokerage, this only goes back three years. So it misses the February, March where I kind of got in. I didn't do a lot then, but this, this, this gives you a pretty good idea of what's happened to me over the last three years. <clears throat> so loss is real. Okay. You can see at the very end here, my portfolio looks totally down, I don't know, 45%, 48%, whatever it is from, from my start. So big picture is um, I bought a lot of the metals and the miners to hedge against a, a downside in my, in my uh, real estate portfolio. So as you can see, I have a 50% a downside. Oh my God, Nate, you're so stupid. Well, Whatever I lost here, I made 6x in my equity in, in my property. So I'm not really worried. The hedge did its job. Um, basically, at, you can see at times, the very beginning there, uh, let's start with the very beginning. Uh, I essentially doubled my entire portfolio plus in a matter of about three months. So all of a sudden, you get this, oh my God, I'm a mining stock genius. Um, yeah, no. Um, Basically, what happened was uh, it then kind of stayed sideways for a while. Uh, I got out of about half of all of my mining stocks uh, July of 2020. I wrote some big blog about it where I was worried about another March 2020 event. So I sold a lot out, and then a lot of it kind of ran down. And then I eventually started getting back in. Oh, my God, the silver squeeze happened. I went up like 25% a day, back down 25% a day. It was crazy. Um. And then towards the, the middle of 2021, I'm seeing gold go up and I'm like, it's, it's, it's happening. It's happening. And guess what? This is the first major mistake I made. I bought a lot of GDFs and GDXJ options. And then literally within two or three weeks, metals started dropping off a cliff. And with that, my options went down and down. And the first thing you're thinking is, oh, you know what? It's just a, it's just a, a short term pullback. And then what happens is these options, they decay very, very quickly. And, you know, you wake up one day down 33%. You're like, you know what, let me let me see if it recovers a little bit. Next thing you know, you're down 50%. Oh, you know what, let's give it some time. Yeah, these things expired worthless. So it wasn't all of my stocks, but it was, it was the first time I took a big swing at it. And, of course, the more bullish you are in a lot of these scenarios, the worse you're going to get crushed. And that's a big lesson that that I learned as well, is if everybody is bullish, every single person out there, you should probably start to think about selling some some, some parts of it. So I, it's taken me some time to learn that. Um, and that's the picture you see there with the I'm not leaving. Uh, I love that. Um, uh, was it the Jordan uh, Jordan meme that, that that's out there? Um, and then furthermore, down there with my portfolio, um, I bought a lot of my long-term stocks I, I hold now I bought them close to the end of 2021. Now, the idea here then was I was like, okay, I'm kind of done with options. I'm just going to buy a bunch of stuff. I'm going to hold for a while. And then, of course, November, December 2021, the mining stocks dropped off a cliff then, and they went down further and further. Okay, March 2022 happens, uh, Ukraine invasion, gold's going up. Gold's going to go to 2,500. Yep, fell into the trap of buying some more options, guys. So that's when you can start to see all that stuff coming off a cliff, coming down. And you see the apocalypse now uh, picture up there, the horror.
that's kind of what my portfolio was uh, September about six, seven months ago. Since then, it's pretty much doubled, uh, went back up. But again, you know, I, I put a lot of this in perspective. I put this up here. I am somewhat joking about a lot of this, but I'm trying to teach you that whoever out there, put put up your portfolio. You know, let everyone see it. Um, you're not going to get that a lot. You're going to get a lot of people that are like, I'm always right. I'm never wrong. But I'm putting this out there to show you that, you know, when people are bullish, don't be buying options hand over fist. Um, and likewise, have some perspective. You're going to have losses. The best mining stock pickers out there get some duds from time to time. And, and that happens. So what ultimately you're going to find with this is if metals are going down, you're going to be hard-pressed to find miners going up. So there is a correlation there. Uh, I'm not going to go too far further into that, but I wanted to let you know that, you know, I'm down, I don't know, 50% of my portfolio, but I have a lot of long-term holds that I'm down on with a bunch of juniors that, you know, they can double in a matter of a couple months. Uh, we saw that with March 2020 when, when things were bought down low. I mean, these, these prices went down below the March 2020 lows. So a lot of these things have been beaten up. And, and as soon as we, we feel a lot of big moves come back into the sector, my juniors are going to explode up. So I'm not, I got a lot of, I got a lot of perspective here. I'm not really worried about it. Okay. Types of miners. Um, here's the fun thing. When I first started getting involved with mining, uh, stocks, uh, I heard somewhere on the YouTubes, I heard uh, of a pick. I went, I, I looked at it and it's been like 15 years since I really looked at financial statements with my MBA stuff. So I asked my buddy who was a former IRS agent. I was like, look, man, I haven't looked at books in forever. Can you look at this and tell me, you know, if there's any, any red flags here? And he gets back to me. He's like, Nate, these guys don't make any money. In fact, they burn cash. What the hell are you doing trying to invest in them? So he was used to a lot of companies that, you know, you're dealing with free cash flow. You put money in, invest them, and they get earnings. Well, you're going to find that there's a bunch of different types of miners. So um, I'll, I'll cover, you know what, let me let me go to the next slide and I'll come back to it. So with this Lassonde curve, this kind of goes through uh, how you go from an idea of, you know, a hole in the ground to actually producing metals. So at the very beginning, you have a guy standing over a hole that says, hey, I think there's I think there's metal in the ground here. And from that point on, you start to discover, you start to, you have to drill out, you have to uh, understand what you have. And then if you make a discovery, you know, you start to see that curve go up. Okay. And that's when you have a lot of people climbing on board. Oh my God, this is going to the moon. And then what happens is, at some point in time, that curve up the top, um, orphan period. So the discovery's been made. Everybody's made a 5X. And now what happens is realization sets in that, oh, my God, this could be another five years now of development. It could be environment, uh, environmental impact statements. It could be PEAs, PFSs, FSs. It could be all kinds of risks ahead. I just made a 5X. Let me take some profits off of here. And you're going to find a lot of times, so you're going to see a lot of that happening. But as that's going on, you're going to be seeing that the company needs to now start doing um, things like the, those reports. They could cost millions of dollars. How are they paying for it? So they're 
throughout the course of a lot of this, there's a lot of share dilution. Maybe they sell um, a royalty. Uh, but what happens is with this, there's different periods. And then you could be 10, 15 years in before they're pulling metal out of the ground as a producer. So let's go back here. Uh, you see the explorers. And those are the people that like, hey, you have green fields and you have brown fields. So brown fields are, that's where they, they found metal before. And most of the mines today, you'll say, you know what, it's less risky if I dig where there's been metal before, because now, wait a second, um, we can now extract much better. We can go deeper down. We can, we have better technology than they had 50, 60 years ago. And metals cost a lot more than they did 50, 60 years ago. So maybe it's more economic. So, um, the explorers that are going after the green fields, um, maybe they saw something, uh, from an airplane. Maybe like, maybe, maybe somebody found some nuggets somewhere. Uh, so the explorers, you may have your early stage explorers. That was the, uh, the, the line you had seen that was kind of flat and that could go on for years. These people are, are digging holes, are drilling, and they may not find any metal. Um, but all throughout this course of time, they have no revenue coming in. So if you try looking at their financial statements, you're going to see nothing but expenditures going out. Well, how do they get money? How do they drill? Um, and this is where they may, you know, issue more shares. So you could have a lot of share dilution happening, but let's just say for argument's sake, you diluted your company by half with, you had 500 shares and you're going to issue 500 more. Now you have a thousand shares. So you're diluted by half, but at the end of that drill season, you're hoping at the very least you have twice as more metals that you had found. So while you're diluting, you're also trying to get more value. So maybe if you're diluted by half, maybe you want three times the metals, so on and so forth. Um, developers, you get to some point in time where you're an explorer and you're like, hey, look, I got this, I got all this metal here. Uh, I think we might want to, I think we might want to build a mine here. Now they, they you can't just turn around and, and build a mine. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. This is what took me six months to figure out when I'm doing all this mining stock stuff was that once you have a resource, now many of these companies are geologists. They, they explore, they, they know, uh, they know about metal. They know about, you know, resource or uh, resource bodies and ores and, and metallurgy. They don't know how to build a mine. So you may now have them sell that to somebody else or the CEO may step down and a, a different CEO may come in that's built mines before. And now you're looking at, you know, a three to five to seven year period of time where you're also still having no revenue. Now, some of these companies may have four, five, six, ten properties. And what they might want to sell some of their properties to fund more of their stuff. Um, so the point is during developing, you may have to issue more shares. You may sell royalties. You may then also take on debt. I mean, if you're building a mine, you know, it can cost hundreds of millions of dollars. I've heard copper mines might cost three, four billion dollars. Um, so some of these mines, they're huge in size. Like, I don't, I don't think many people have any idea how, how large the land area is on a lot of these mines. Um, developers also have to worry about, you know, are there roads to get there? Uh, what about the electricity? There's, there's a lot of things you have to, you have to take into mind. So then you have producers. Okay. So you're now actually digging metal out of the ground and 
you're you're turning it into some sort of either ore, your dory bars, you're, you're turning it into something that you can sell to refineries or 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 even or even sell to mints that they can make it for you. So your producers are actually now profitable, maybe. <laughs> so you may be in a situation where the actual cost to mine gold is $2,300, but the price of gold is 2000 So just because you're getting in revenue doesn't necessarily mean you're profitable. So you try to cover a lot of this stuff in your, in your feasibility statements and, and some of the de-risking that you have going into this. But producers then can be junior producers, mid-tier, large. There's different size producers, and they have different risks with them I'll, I'll get into. Uh, then you have the bankers. Uh, I'll, I'll just, you know, Franco Nevada, Wheat and Precious Metals, there's a bunch of them right now that, you know, if you just go to your local bank and say, hey, I want to build a gold mine, they're probably going to laugh at you. So what you have here now is you have special companies that will say, hey, look, you know, I'll give you, you know, $20 million, but you got to give me, you know, some form of stream uh, of the metals that when they come out of the ground, you're giving me, you know, 2% of all the metals or whatever it is. So you get paid in metal. You don't get paid back in the cash. You take that metal, and your hope is also that the metal is much higher price down the road. So they can store these metals. They can turn around and sell them. So I don't know the exact uh, plumbing about how a lot of these companies work, but you have companies, I think it was I think it was Wheat and Precious Metals. They had something like 25, 35 employees or something, and they're like a billion-dollar company. So it is a, it is a, a drastically interesting um, type of uh, company to get involved with. The problem with it being is if you take a look at things like PE ratio to measure companies, a lot of these companies already factor in, you know, future, uh, future metals prices that are going higher. So many of them are kind of, you, you have to find, uh, maybe places that they pull back and buy then. Um, and then the last, I have miners that don't mine. I just for here, for example, I call them project generators. I've heard people use this before. Maybe a miner is a geologist and they own four or five, six projects and they do a little bit of work to different projects. And they, uh, they bought them when, when gold was down at a thousand dollars an ounce, you know, five, seven years ago, whatever it was. They bought the, they bought these projects that were just, you know, cast aside. You know, all these companies kind of went out of business. They bought these dirt cheap, uh, at the time. Um, now, the price of metals have gone up and, hey, you know, these things might be feasible to mine now. So some of these companies may, you know, put some drill holes in. There may be 400,000 drill holes already around the project, but they'll put some drill holes in. They'll maybe paint something up nice. Maybe they'll, you know, do some marketing and, and they'll turn around and, and, and sell them. So I don't necessarily like these. Some people just love them. Um, but I like the concept of getting these projects like, you know, Great Bear that, you know, it went like 54x in three years. Those are the kind of things I like. Now, that company, that, that, that project was sold eventually, but um, I, I don't I don't necessarily like project generators. Some of them I do, but generally as a rule, I feel it can be kind of, you know, a marketing thing. Uh, I, just, I just, I try and stay away from them. So some of the risks of mining. I was just going to kind of just go over these in, in like a 10-second thing and just read them off. Um, I'm going to try and spend maybe, you know, a, a very short amount of time with each one of these. Um, so strikes. 
that was the big thing I'd first learned about. You know, a lot of these a lot of these miners are, are union. So if a company strikes and there's nothing getting produced, uh, that's a whole lot of pain that your share price is going to get hit hit with because. You know, even if they do get back to work, you're probably getting back to work because the wages have gone up, which are going to decrease the margins. So if you start seeing strikes on some of your properties or some of your some of your um, your miners, that can cause some problems with, you know, margin compression. Uh, natural disaster. Um, this is kind of self-explanatory, but if you built all these tunnels and earthquakes happen, uh, there's certain places like Chile, I think, that are that are quite prone towards um, earthquakes and if you have a miner that's in Chile and a natural disaster hits that like that I mean that's going to just destroy your, your share price they got to redig rebuild you know shut down the mine for God knows how long until they they fix things up so that's another risk then you have theft think about it. you're a miner you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're mining golds and you got these piles of gold in a, in a vault but maybe you're in a country that's a little shady you got a couple guys that you know they got some guns and stuff but they come with like two trucks of guys worth of guns and they steal millions of dollars of your gold now i'm sure you probably have some form of insurance but this is a huge risk that you know people don't necessarily take into account with some of the bad jurisdictions out there um and, and just recently we we had heard about gold being stolen from uh, a Canadian airport. Now, I don't know what the situation was with that, but you could think that it was possible Canadian miners were, were, were selling some of this to, um, selling this to LBMA or the like. So maybe in transit it's stolen. Uh, injury or loss of life. Same thing with strike above, where if you hear about an injury, they will shut down that mine for an undetermined amount of time to understand what happened. Uh, safety is, uh, a key whenever you're working in any kind of manufacturing uh, facility. I I did a uh, stint as security guard uh, over the years at, at at some of these companies, and and safety is massively important. And when you're a miner and you're sending people, you know, miles underground, you got to really well, not miles, but uh, you know, thousands thousands of feet down below, you really got to you know take safety into account here. Uh, underlying commodity tanks. Let's just say you just, hey, oh my God, gold's going up, and you take all of your your piggy bank money, you put it all in one miner, and then all of a sudden, you know, gold goes down, you know, ten percent over the next week. That's that could potentially just absolutely destroy your miners. Uh, dusters. Remember, I was talking about the explorers above. The one of the risks you have is you pick an explorer that you know he's he he, he dilutes the company, um, he issues more shares for another season of drilling and they come back with nothing but dusters that's there, there's no metal or very low grade and that can absolutely crush an explorer another thing most people don't realize is one in three thousand projects actually becomes a mine so you're going to hear about a lot of people hyping all these different projects oh my god it's the greatest it's high grade it's 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 perfect and every one of these projects has warts with it every single one of them every single one of these but they're in the job of selling you uh the upside to it and i can't blame them because you know they're in that business because they think they can turn it into a mine so down the road uh you know you may run into some dusters you may run into some problems like think about you know those guys who 
discovered Pebble Mine. Um, I forget the company now, but uh, the Pebble Mine, uh, it was like something like 70 million or something like that. 70 million ounces of gold. Some ridiculous amount of, of metals that were found there. And they ran into all kinds of problems because they couldn't get the, the environmental permit to go through because of salmon, uh, because of the fish and the runoff. So you had this massive home run of a project that everybody probably put ridiculous amounts of money in. And then that got shut down at the environmental permitting stage. So just because something has a lot of metal doesn't mean it's going to get greenlit. So you have to keep that in mind that just because you think it's the greatest thing ever, you got to take a lot of things into mind. There was a, there was a mine that, um, one of the, the mining stock guys had, had suggested to us, I really like this miner. I looked into it. I did my due diligence, two mines, uh, two potential projects, but it was in California. And you have to look at the jurisdiction of the place you're in. That, that's another risk that you have up here. Um, but what, what you have to worry about is like you could have, you know, Wyoming and Utah and Nevada as really good jurisdictions, but California is terrible because you can't get anything permitted. Uh, next thing, you got fraud, lying, deceit. Um, I've just only been involved with the, this sector the last three years. I think they cleaned up a lot of their acts, but they're, you can, you can hear a lot about over the, over the course of the years that I guess some of the Canadian miners and there was a lot of shady business stuff that was going on years ago, years upon years ago. And then they came up with a, a certain way of judging the resource. Um, and, and this is more of a, a framework standard nowadays. Um, but, but a lot of times, they will frame you. I mean, they, they pour their life savings into these things. And then, you know, maybe they feel that they're under the pressure and they have to lie or else they lose everything. I'm not excusing it, but the sector itself is massively risky and dangerous. So, um, that's a risk to you because you don't know what that person is selling you to keep food on their table. So you hope that everybody is out there, you know, um, you know, being the best, best person they can be, but that's when you start asking about the reports. Uh, you start asking about uh, the, the financials. You start asking about the management team. Um, next is cutting corners. There was this one, I will mention this minor, Pure Gold. Everybody thought this was a darling, high grade, everything. And from what I understand, one of the problems is they cut corners on like a, uh, I think it was the feasibility study. Don't quote me on this, but it had to do with a mine plan, wasn't exact. And because the grade was so high, they're like, this is going to be a home run. And essentially what happened was when they went to do the mining for it, the ore grades coming out didn't match what, uh, match what the plan was. And that company is went to essentially zero. Um, so it was a good project. However, how it was implemented cut some corners, uh, to advance it faster than it should have been. Next is incompetence, and that can kind of go hand in hand with, you know, cutting corners above. If you have a situation like that pure gold where you had a CEO, I, I saw him in some interviews like three years ago. This guy, man, this guy wanted that mine to happen so much. Um, I mean, you could, you could tell in that interview this guy had his blood, sweat, and tears in it. But it didn't mean that he was a professional mine builder. And some of the times... Maybe ego takes over. You're, you're, you're an owner of the company and you have to surround yourself with smart people. 
So just because you want to build the line doesn't mean you have the skill set to do it. And you might make a million errors on the way to learning how to do it. And then you're dealing with investor money. If you're just doing it with your own money, have at it. But when you start issuing shares and uh, using other people's money, you need to be competent in what you're doing and surround yourself with people that know what they're doing. Next is inflation. This is something I did not take into account in 2022. So you saw my, my portfolio went a lot lower. Um, but part of that had to do with my metals that I, uh, I had owned were pretty much flat for the year. Uh, my real estate went way up. Um, but my, the por portion of my portfolio that was the miners, they, they tanked. Uh, that's because of margin compression. The metals were flat, but inflation went much higher. So while all of us were banking on inflation causing metals to go higher, which actually might be happening now uh, or very soon, um, basically what happened was it, it crushed uh, all of the um, the free cash flow margins and the like for miners. So you have to worry about now if I'm investing in this miner because I want metals to go up, what happens if the metals don't go up but inflation does? Well, we all saw what happened there. Next is my nationalization. I thought when I wrote these slides up last week, I thought this was kind of mostly in the past. However, I just heard something, I, I guess it was today, about how Chile was nationalizing their lithium miners. Excuse me. And it's just kind of silly today that they would do such a thing because if you nationalize anything, think about that. All the people that are foreigners that have come into your country using their money and investment, they're people that know what they're doing. When you nationalize that, you now have a hole in the ground. You don't have any of the capital and you don't have the experts that all go home. Um, so my nationalization is a risk, but you think of it in the worst jurisdictions. I think um, for the most part nowadays, I think what you're going to be running into is more of a, like a Ghana rule, I'm calling it, where countries might start to just um, force these miners to sell them like 20% of the minerals they extract using local currency. This allows the miners to then pay their local workers and suppliers in that local currency. So that country now doesn't have to go out and get dollars, um, US dollars. So I think my nationalization, I think it's still going to happen, but I think it's less of a risk than most think, even with much higher metals prices. Because all the experts that are coming in, you know, think about all the miners out there. They're all Canadian miners. The, the, all their universities probably have, you know, mining majors. So all these people geographically go all over the world and, and dig and, and explore. And that's where the geology um, expertise is. So my nationalization, it's a risk, but I think it depends on what jurisdiction. Uh, next year, running out of money, I talked about share dilution above. But what happens is if you deleted, diluted your shares, diluted your shares, diluted your shares, and you're not, you're not necessarily, you know, improving the property anymore. And what happens now? We've seen this now over the last couple of years where there are times where metals go down and it gets harder to raise, uh, it gets harder to raise, raise capital for some of these projects. I mean, if you're looking at 1615 gold, which we were just looking at, I don't know, eight months ago. You're looking at 1615 gold. There's a lot of these newer projects out there that are trying to bank on 18, 1900 gold for, you know, part of their PEA or PFS. So running out of money is a real concern that, you know, some of these companies that aren't producing will just run out of business and your investment will go to zero. Um, 
I already covered my nationalization. Sorry, I put that up twice. Uh, the grades are incorrect. I mentioned that a little bit with the pure gold. Um, you can drill and get, you know, 6.5 grams per ton of gold. But by the time you go to drill, if you've not done all of your infill, and if you've not sectioned off the, the areas correctly, um, I didn't know how they did this, but I guess what they have is they have certain blocks and chunks that they will uh, blast and, and cut uh, at certain points in time because they know about the, 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 the head grade for that. Now, if you make mistakes and you don't drill enough, you could be expecting to be running 6.5 grams per ton through a mill for the better part of a month. And next thing you know, it's actually 4 grams per ton, and you're losing a ton of money with all the, the, the pay that you're running. Uh, so that can that can also fall under incompetence as well, but this is another risk that you might have, is the grades that were predicted are not as you would think. Uh, you also have maintenance issues. Um, uh, anybody that's ever watched Gold Rush, now this is not, Gold Rush is like a mom and shop type of, of gold mining. It's, I love watching the show, but it, it gives you, gives you an order, overview of, uh, of a type, a certain type of gold mining. Um, what we kind of invest in have to do with a lot, <laughs> a lot bigger scope of things, but you can have a situation where, you know, maybe you're short on funding and some of your drills are, 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 are dying out. Maybe some of your equipment is dying and, and it's costing you a lot. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you can have, uh, equipment issues. Maybe your mill goes down. So you run into a lot of these issues that they can multiply and you can miss your, your quarterly numbers with that. Unexpected cost overruns. I covered some of them before, but maybe, uh, this, this happened to a very, this was a darling miner. I forget the exact name of it. I, I don't want to, I confused the two of these, so I don't want to say the name of it, but this one miner that, uh, uh, mining stock guy had picked, uh, adored by everyone. And in their PFS, they suggested it, it would cost this much to, to build the mine. And then what happened was with 2021, 2022 cost overruns for inflation, it just, it, their costs went, uh, vertical through the roof and the, the share price of the company just took a, a massive nosedive because they just weren't expecting like the cost of building the mine would be like 50% more than it was. Um, next is permitting issues. I mentioned about the, uh, the, the pebble mine. Um, but this can, this, We've seen this before with uh, some of the miners I invest in. You'll see where permits are held up, stock tanks, and then a couple months later, everything's reversed and, and everything's fine. Most of these are, they seem to be kind of um, annoyances, but they can also be a deal breaker. So they can shut you down permanently. So keep that in mind with that California miner I was mentioning. They basically could not mine in California. Um, that wasn't because it wasn't a great project. It was because California basically said, we're not going to let you mine. Uh, and last is the share dilution. Like I mentioned, it could take 10 or 15 years before you're actually pulling, you know, rocks out of the ground. It could take a long time and you got to dilute your, your company all to hell, uh, in the process of doing that. So that is a major risk as an investor as well. But again, remember, dilution isn't the end of the world if you're getting value out of the backside of it. Um, I mentioned a bit about the explorers above. I went through some of these. Um, early to late stage, I mentioned a great bear. Um, they have the ability to go to zero a lot. I know some of the guys I, 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 I subscribe to. Um, they might play these things like a three to five X with an upside of 10 X, but if it goes down half, get, get out. 
say you have a, a limited downside, um, but these are extremely high risk plays. Um, the, the early stage explorers are far more riskier than even late stage explorers. But late stage explorers, like I said, you're, you're de-risking the project all the way through. And I mean, it could be a situation where, you know, you do a prelim preliminary economic assessment and you're running all, into all kinds of problems there because you find that it's just not economical to mine. You could have 50 million ounces of gold, but if it's not economical or you can't extract the gold using the technology today that it's cost effective, it's just a pile of gold in the ground you can't do anything with. Um, another thing with explorers, there's lots of years of drillings. This isn't like, hey, I like this guy, he's going to drill and like next year he's going to dig, dig a hole. It doesn't work like that. So I didn't understand this when I first got involved. I thought these explorers are like, hey, let, let's see if there's gold here. And then, you know, next year, let's dig a hole. Oh, God, no. So you, you have to also understand that explorers are trying to take um, what you can see the picture here, mineral resources and turn it into ore reserves. And that's, that's de-risking the project. So early stage of all this stuff is drilling. This is where you see, hey, look, we might have 5 million ounces here. But we got to keep digging because we got to understand what we're dealing with here. We have to de-risk it before we make any kind of decision of whether or not we're going to mine it or not. Um, like I said, hitting the drill can then give you an idea of the size of the resource. Um, again, just because you have 70 million ounces doesn't mean you're even going to, doesn't mean you're going to let it get, um, it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be mined. Uh, you know, with the pebble mine, you know, you have, you have uh, issues with um, salmon, and there goes your, your massive project. Um, and like I said, lastly, with dilution here, you're hoping that if you're diluted, you're, that the results of the drill are then providing you value in the ground. Developers, again, lots of dilution. Um, they could potentially raise money by selling some of the other projects they own or selling streams or royalties. They can take on debt. Um, that's when you're asking the questions, does it make sense to pursue with the PEA? Uh, you're trying to see if it's feasible with a pre-feasibility study and a feasibility study. Um, does it make sense to do this here? Can we make money off of this? Um, ecological impacts and environmental reports. That's the pebble mine again. Um, and these things take forever to do. Uh, then you have to think about, you know, you, 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 you found this place out in the middle of nowhere. This isn't like two miles outside of town. We're talking like 130 miles outside of town. And you may not have any roads anywhere near there. You may not have any power. Um, so it may be up in the mountains. How do you get water? So just because you find a lot of metal doesn't mean the headaches are all gone. It means the headaches just started. Um, it could cost millions or even billions to develop a project. So what you're finding today is a lot of the projects that are smaller in size may not get the attention that projects that are larger in size get because if you're going to be spending $200 million to develop a mine, why wouldn't I just develop the one that's bigger? If the cost of development are relatively the same, give or take, you would much rather go with one that has more ounces in the ground. Um, but likewise, Pebble Mine was also a little bit of a warning because it was too big. And you're now running into that issue with some of these mines where the cost to develop these things could be a billion dollars. So they say, hey, you know what? 
Let's just develop a smaller portion of it. Let's use a lot of the free cash flow once we get going in the next three years instead of waiting 10 years. Let's get going in the next three years. Some of that free cash flow, we're going to then put back into the grounds. We're going to then build our mine out larger as time goes on. But when they initially start this, they're now permitting for a mine that's a tenth the size of what it should be. And there's no guarantee down the road that they're going to allow the permit for a larger size mine to happen. So that's what they did with Pebble Mine. They scaled that back to, I think it was something like 10% of what size it was supposed to be. And that wasn't even approved. So there was no guarantee that even if that was approved, there was no guarantee that they could have built that out over the next 20 or 30 years to the size it should have been. Um, and then likewise, at, at there, it culminates into a point where it's called a construction decision. So a lot of people stay out of developers because of the a lot of di dilution that happens. Um, so generally speaking, all of this culminates with this construction decision where they say, yes, we're going to build. And then at that point, you have a lot of people in the world like Jeff Clarks that say, hey, this is the time where now you invest. And that was part of that, um, the Lausanne curve above, which showed at the very bottom where the decision uh, to mine then happened, then all the all the sudden people start pouring in because now there's, you know, 12 to 18 months out, they're going to be pouring gold. So all this dilution had happened, now you're going to get value in it. Next is the producers. Like I mentioned, there's uh, different sizes of producers. Um, the good part here is you finally get to make money. Uh, you also have here the first pour in the ramping up production like I just mentioned about. Um, but that, that first pour doesn't mean the next week that they're at full speed ahead. They got to tune all of their equipment. They got to staff up. They got to make sure everything's working properly. And they gradually bring it up to full speed. Um, some of these producers out there will hedge production. Um, many of the silver primaries that uh, are on Arcadia, they don't do that. But for argument's sake, maybe you're talking about a, a massive uh, base metal company. And, you know, whether or not silver is 25 or $23, they don't really care. Hey, if they can get $25 today, you know, to sell their future production out, they don't care. They're, I mean, they care to an extent, but a lot of these companies will forward hedge their production, which that sell pressure will go in the comics. In theory, it's advertising that future supply is coming on the market. So you can understand how hedging that will actually push down the paper silver, if you will. Um, you have your junior, mid-tier, senior. Um, the one thing I don't like about mining, which it, this took me a while to figure out. So note to yourself out there, you have a junior miner, which you just poured all your money into. Then the metals took a bit of a breather. The junior miner has now gone down 50%. And you're like, okay, metals are about to turn up. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, hey, this guy I just invested in, I watched it go down 50%. I could see a 10x coming up. You might be right. But that company that just went down half, it's also quite possible they're in some financial problems. And then they end up selling the company for 35% uh, over premium. So you just lost 50%. And then at your 50% valuation, you get 35% premium of your stocks. That's not why you were investing in the junior miner. You were investing because you wanted that 10 to 30x. So the sweet spot for me, I don't do a lot of junior producers 
that much. I, I, I try and stay away from them. I, my sweet spot for me, I, I do like the mid-tiers because you can have some of that upside of the juniors. Um, there will be also an M&A risk, but if you pick the right ones, maybe they're too small and, and geographic that you know a major company isn't necessarily going to be interested in them. But the seniors, you know, you're going to see what the seniors like a uh, Newmont, uh, you're going to see companies like that, you know, gold goes up 25, 100, 3,000, something like that. You're going to see companies like that double, triple in size. And everyone downstream of that, they can be going 5, 6x. The junior producers can be going 7 to 10x. It depends how far gold goes. You know, what you're looking at here now is think about this concept. If you're, if you're, if you're Newmont and your cost of getting gold out of the ground, uh, I'm just throwing some round numbers out here for you. I don't want to go into a math study. If it costs you a thousand to get gold out of the ground and gold is two thousand, that means for every ounce that you mine, you're making a thousand profit, which makes you very profitable. But if gold goes up, say five hundred dollars, that means that your profit goes from one thousand an ounce to fifteen hundred an ounce. So that senior producer actually will have fifty percent higher earnings in theory. Now, if you're a junior producer or a mid-tier producer, Let's just say your cost of mining is fifteen hundred, and you know gold is two thousand. That means your profit is five hundred an ounce. And if it goes to twenty five hundred dollar gold, your profit is now one thousand ounce. So your profit has doubled. So you can see that if you invest in a major, it's safer. Now we'll go back to the risk slide, like I had, and you're going to see there's still a ridiculous amount of risks that they can have, but. Um, you can see the upside of a mid-tier can be higher than uh, a senior. But again, a mid-tier might have a lot more risk. Because a mid-tier also, they might only be a single mine property. And if that one mine um, happens to have a strike or a natural disaster, that entire company's revenue turns to zero very quickly. Uh, and likewise, those juniors, maybe those juniors are producing an 1800 now so I'm just throwing out a number there um so their profits you know can go 2.5x if gold goes to 2500 and then people get options on top of them and these some of these plays that they can do they can get 10 15 20x with some of these option plays with some of these juniors so it can go nuts and rather than just getting a 20% move in gold to preserve what wealth you have you can use some of these miners to really leverage up some of a percent of your portfolio um, and likewise, lastly here, uh, well, second to last is valuations. Um, how do you value a miner? How do you determine what its fair market value is? Now, one one way I've used is basically the spare parts value. Okay, you've seen some of these companies. If you take the, let's just say a company is worth a hundred dollars for spare parts. If you sold everything at a flea market with a hundred bucks. A lot of these companies might be trading today at, for argument's sake, $200 because you got the $100 in spare parts and then that extra $100 is because the amount of free, free cash flow that that company will generate. Now, you have certain companies that are trading below their flea market value and those are the companies I just love to look at because they're beaten down, people don't know about them and there might be reasons for that. but. If you have $2,500, $3,000 gold, a lot of those warts go away very quickly when gold is maybe $1,000 more an ounce. 
Now, if they're a silver producer and they got a lot of warts in, it's $25 an ounce silver, $40 an ounce silver, probably smooths over any problems that that company will have. So you, you, when you value a company, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. It's kind of an art form. Somebody can say this is the right way. You can look at PE ratios. You can look at free cash flow, uh, cash flow analysis. You, there's a lot of different ways that you can, um, determine what companies are right for you. But, you know, just because a company looks cheap doesn't mean it's the best buy. Again, this has to do with your risk appetite. So for many of you that are brand new, it's easy enough just to go into uh, a Newmont or a Barrick or a GDX, which is the uh, gold, the senior gold miners um, ETF. You go into one of those things, put some money in, and forget about it uh, to an extent, because gold is uh, gold and silver. These are cyclical investments. Uh, I think I'm going to cover that a little bit down the road. But um, lastly, here is the decay of mine life and continued exploration to add more ounces in the ground. So, you just did first pour, you're ready to ramp up. Now, every single ounce you're pulling out of the ground is actually decaying the asset that you have in the ground. So, a lot of these companies will take some of their profit and then they will try and, and build out their resource to extend the, the life of life of their mine. I mean, you're spending $400 million to build a mine and this mine life is nine years. Well, at the end of nine years, what happens? Everybody just pack up and goes home? Um, what you may try and do is to extend that, that mine out to 12 years, to 15 years, to 20 years. So what, remember that, that Pebble Beach one I was just talking about, that massive mine. So you may do some sort of, you know, initial statement on this large, this large property and start it at, you know, nine years of, of mine life. But what you can start to do then is as time goes on, start to add more of those ounces in the ground through proper permitting and adding to the resource estimate. So, um, and the ore body. So you can do that over the course of time, extend them out, but just know that any mine that comes into being also has a time, a time frame until they die, unless they get more, uh, get, get more ounces in the ground. So primary miners. So I, I, I'm, I'm putting this slide in here because there's, there's another slide next I'm going to cover with this. But when you say I want to invest in a gold miner, okay, you're thinking that their metal that they're mining is primarily gold. Now with Newmont, it was interesting. I liked looking at them back in the day because I had done the math on, on Newmont and I'd seen that while they had so many millions of ounces of gold, they had something like 54 million ounces of silver as a byproduct. So I'm like, wow, this major has a massive upside if silver goes to like $100 an ounce. So just because Newmont is uh, a gold miner that might go up 50% where you, your, your junior gold miners might go up massively, you also have to take into account what other metals they might be mining. Now, think about, um, uh, think about Many of the, the silver primary miners that we love today. Now, I love all these miners. Um, uh, the name might not be accurate with some of these, but I'm splitting hairs here because I think, you know, these companies, they are labeled as primary silver companies. They want to be primary silver companies, but over the last few years, the price of silver hasn't kept up and that's forced them to either have gold as a primary metal or use base metals as a primary metal and then silver has become a, a secondary metal. So 
this chart I did here uh, a while back, um, it just basically shows that, you know, it, this this here shows only a handful of companies, actually. I think it was five the last time I checked. Only five companies that were silver companies, silver primary companies, had over 100 million market cap. And I think one of them on here, uh, Fresnillo, is at 41%. But technically, it's the, 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 the primary mineral that they have because no other one was higher than 41%. So um, these silver miners that everyone has come to love uh, are not necessarily primary silver miners anymore. So they have to, you know, focus on, you know, their gold or their base metal. Um, and that being said is, you know, if the price of silver starts to recover, you're going to start to see a lot of these start to go back up to 35, 40, 45, 50%. And they may once again be silver miners, but you have one company in particular on here. I'm not going to name names, but the price of silver could be $50 and they're still not the silver primary miner anymore. So, um, keep that in mind that just because someone has silver in their name, you have to look at, you know, what, what they're producing and, and, and figure out what you want to do for your risk appetite. Now with this, consider. Uh, the big picture with base metal producers. Think about like we're going into recession right now. And if a lot of our silver now is being made by base metal producers, there's a, um, a Polish company. I, I forget the name of it right now. Four letters. It's like the largest silver producer out there, but it's a base metal company. So if there's this worldwide recession right now and nobody needs base metals, they're going to shut down a bunch of their mines or draw it back. And what that means is all that silver is going to disappear from the market. And when that silver disappears from the market, it's going to just go parabolic with the price of silver because we're already at 237 million ounce deficits for silver. So, you know, if you pick a silver primary on here, uh, you're probably not going to go wrong to an extent. Uh, the one caveat on here, I put that impact silver on here because I own that, but that is a very small company. So that's not. Uh, in the same size as the rest of them. I just did that to show the percent of silver that it has. So um, just be careful that, I'll uh, not be careful, but with base metal uh, ha may have a, a problem with recession coming up. That may be an opportunity for silver primary miners. So some of the items to consider, uh, what metal do you want to mine? Uh, do you want gold, copper, silver, uranium, um, you know, you can have some of these projects now that were originally silver projects, but are now lithium. <laughs> Price of lithium went up so much that, the uh, you know, all of a sudden they had this upside of, of lithium. Um, and, and with that, what metal, you also have to understand there are um, uh, life cycles with this. So uh, commodities life cycles. So right now we're in a situation where base metals may be going down for quite some time, but precious metals might be going up. So maybe three, four, five, eight years from now, precious metals hit their peak of 4,000 or 5,000, not investment advice, but it hits that peak and then all of a sudden starts to decline. What does it come back down to? Maybe 2,500 is the base it comes down to in 2035. I don't know. But if you just hold the GDX for 40 years, you're going to be riding these cycles up and all the way back down. So it doesn't mean you have to day trade, but it means you have to understand that your investment is cyclical. Uh, jurisdiction, um, you know, years ago, you could say that certain countries were risky jurisdictions, 
but you can then now say that California is up there as well. Just, you know, you think of the United States as safe. Well, it's not necessarily mining friendly. Uh, certain countries like Mexico that were much more friendly to mining, now all of a sudden there's risks of permitting problems there with environmental issues with, with their, their presidency uh, and their, their cabinet. So Chile has issues. Peru had, like a lot of these countries have issues. And then you look at like a continent like Africa. And, you know, I, I saw some great talk on this. I, I forget who it was, but, um, you know, if you look at Africa and you think of Africa as a jurisdiction, you're really missing out on a lot because, um, certain countries in Africa, like one of those up there on, on, on the, uh, slideshow was Aya, Aya Gold and Silver, which is in Morocco in West Africa. And, you know, five years ago, I couldn't have picked Morocco out on the map. And I did my due diligence on it. And this is not, uh, investment advice or anything, but I looked at it and I'm like, wow, like they're just now kind of opening up for business for everyone. They, they've been closed. So they're looking for foreign investment into mining and everything seems safe and it seems friendly to mining. And when you start to find jurisdictions like that, that are much more friendly, it starts to attract, uh, investment. Uh, so there's a lot of decent West African, um, uh, areas right now that I'm looking at. Um, some are much safer than others. And a lot of times when you think of African jurisdictions, you think of coup d'etats. And that's very sad for that region because it is a reality, but there are pockets in there that are much better than others. So there are opportunities. And hopefully if you're in a more risky jurisdiction, you're compensated for that risk. You might see, um, you know, PFSs or PF PEAs these days with a 5% discount um, for uh, a jurisdiction like Mexico. And you're like, wait a second, that risk might be a lot higher than that nowadays. So, you know, different jurisdictions have different risks. And with that, you should be compensated for more risky jurisdictions. Then another consideration is management team. Have they done it before? So I'm going to give you a little secret here is that uh, the secret to a lot of mining stock investment is listening to a lot of people that know what they're talking about. Uh, they're not going to get everything right, but um, I subscribe to a bunch of these. I, I, I canceled my subscriptions recently because we had like two, two years of, of metals going down. It doesn't matter how much of a guru you are. If these metal prices are going down, 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 these, all of these miners are going down, down, down. And I feel bad for a lot of these mining stock guys because they got to know when the price of metals are going down, it's going to hit them a bit. Um, I'm going to talk about one in particular at the end here for resources. But um, as far as the management teams, I don't know who these people are. I mean, I've seen their names around a lot now, but I can't sit there and tell you, hey, that Lundin is the greatest guy ever. I don't know. I, I know that, that that family has a good name. But short of a handful of names that are very popular, I, could, I couldn't tell you who, you know, who, who led Barrick to success five years ago, I couldn't tell you. So you have to rely on these guys that have been doing this for 10, 20 years. They know all the players. They know the guys that are, 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 are shamming you. They know the guys that ran a project into the ground and recycled themselves three years later in a different company. Uh, you can get some inside, you know, inside notes on some of that stuff and avoid those companies. Uh, another thing to consider share structure. Uh, the guy I'm going to talk about at the end here kind of went over some of that. In, in, in his, um, in his, in, in his newsletter, I didn't know a lot about this and the tight share structures, uh, those companies that 
prevent from shared dilution, can kind of preserve your, your value. Uh, so share structure is pretty important. I know that Australian companies will have like 36 trillion shares. <laughs> they just dilute, dilute, dilute. Um, next is the price of metal. So, you know, right now gold is sitting around 2000. Remember the, that chart that I showed you. Are you going to go in right now, all in with options on GDX because gold is at 2000? No. You, you probably shouldn't, but that's not investment advice because it, while it could go straight to 2500 for here, usually what happens is if you take a look at the, the metals charts, there's a lot of sawtooth patterns over the years. So what you might want to do is buy shares in tranches, uh, meaning you're having, you, you know, you have $10,000 to invest. You don't go out one day today and buy $10,000 in options for GDX. Don't do that. Um, you might say, hey, you know what, this is a position here, could go higher, could go lower. Let me just, you know, put 20% down on this one stock I really like. And if it goes a little bit lower, maybe I'll add a little bit more. Uh, but always keep some form of cash because, you know, if there are dips like the March 2020 thing, you should have some cash available. Now, many will tell you don't trade on leverage or don't trade on margin. Uh, I do. Um, I understand the risks. And like I said, I'm hedging my real estate equity. So my trading account is not my primary uh, means of, of savings. So I have that ability to take some some layers of risk. I do have a, a job in the real world, so I can recover from some of this stuff. Um, but when you're when you're thinking about the price of metals and where to get in at, you also have to look at where it is in the market cycle. Now, are you in 2011 and you just had 10 years of runoff? Are you going to now drop $10,000 today at that area, or are you going to wait until it pulls off a little bit? Uh, debt. Uh, how much debt does the company have? Now, one of the one of the things I did was uh, a debt-to-income ratio for a lot of these companies. And what you'll see is that companies that have no debt might not be using debt the right way, if, if that's a good way of putting it. Now, two years ago, three years ago, if they were able to get, you know, bonds at 3%, 4%, whatever, whatever the low rate was, if they were able to get that money, borrow that money, just cheap money so that they can build out, you know, portions of a mine and then make 20% back on that return on investment, that's a good way of using debt. Today, with high interest rates, are you going to go into debt at 10, 12% bonds and Margins compressed with inflation to get 10% back? No. So debt to income ratio is something I had also looked at. Um, there's a lot of different things you could have your financial advisor or accountant look at for you. Another interesting thing is lifestyle companies. I've never been to one of these um, um, forums, if you will. I, I always want to go to these things because I used to listen to them on YouTube all the time where you listen to just 10 of them in a row while you're painting a room or something. And man, I just, I love listening to them. And I got some really good uranium picks with that. They went up a bit. I got out of uranium because it's going nowhere. I looked back a year later, they all went up five, six X. So sometimes these forums, these, these, uh, these things are really good, but, um, you may also find there's properties that have been out there since 2013. They've done nothing with them. And every year there's some share dilution. Uh, there's another round of investing and you can see that they're, you know, they're paying their, their CEO, they're paying their people, but they're not actually doing anything. They're not improving 
you know, the investment in a company. They, they might say they're doing stuff, but you're not actually seeing anything. There's a lot of burn rate. There's nobody's looking to buy them. They're not mining anything. So be careful of lifestyle companies. And then lastly, uh, here, items to consider skin in the game. Now, um, what you hear about this is, hey, what percentage of the company does management own? Now, they might start off owning 50%, but, you know, what happens then is they dilute the company over time, over time, over time. And, you know, by the time you hear about, they might have 10, 15% left in the company, which is still sizable. Even 5%, they still have skin in the company, uh, skin in the game because they want, you know, the price of the stock to go higher. Uh, what I think they steer you away from is there's, there's guys that just come in and they're there to, flip the company, they're there to just quickly come in and, and leave, and they don't really have any shares in the company at all. So that's that's something to kind of worry about. Uh, so this kind of covers all the big picture things to consider with, with the miners. Lastly here, uh, one of the um, one of the people that speaks from Arcadia here is Dave Kranzler. I'm going to give him some props. Uh, take a look at his mining stock journal. Uh, it's, uh, it's like 20 bucks a month. It's dirt cheap. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. And um, you know, some of his picks have just been ridiculous home runs for me. So, um, all of these guys that have these newsletters, I just wrote newsletters below. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, sing, single anyone else out, but a lot of these guys, they, this is their full-time job now. Um, uh, they, 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 they are savants with a lot of these different miners. So a lot of times what I would do is I would, I would subscribe to, I don't know, four or five, six of these guys. And if three or four of them all had the same pick, Gave me a lot of confidence. Now, maybe the big move has already been made because three or four of these guys were 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 now advocating for them. But it gave me more confidence to put a, a bigger chunk of uh, investment forward. So it may not have been a massive return because it had already been known then. But um, there's a lot of uh, researchers out there with newsletters that you know these guys also pick up the phone. They call the mining CEOs. Um, so Dave's is a big one. Um, I prefer, I love also, you know, YouTube channels like Arcadia. I know they, that Chris has miners on here all the time. Um, I've invested in a lot of them already. And then when they come on, it's just great because I get to learn about my investments. So tune into shows like this, uh, to try and learn a lot more about it. Uh, and with that, I think that's about it until next time. Thanks a lot.